Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining us today for another episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast, where we like to talk all things sports and music and comedy and books and authors, pastors, testimonies, all things surrounding life lessons, leadership therein. And today I have the privilege and the pleasure to talk to Dave Stone, who is a longtime pastor, senior pastor, and in other roles at Southeast Christian Church, and previous guest, Kurt Sauter, helped make the connection for us with Dave. And Dave has been very easy to deal with. And I guess what that says to me is he does not do his homework, because if he did, our mutual friend Ronnie Cordray might have told him to avoid this like the plague, as I'm sure Ronnie would have had something funny to say. But anyway, welcome, Dave Stone. Hey, thank you so much. I'm having a great day, Jeff. How about you? Anytime I get to talk to guys like you, it's going to be a good day. And yeah, I mean, you're going to have to encourage our friend Bob Russell that we've been talking for a while about a podcast. He was on my old one that is no longer in existence, but we have not nailed down this one, and you were very easy to deal with. So give a little elbow to the gut to Bob Russell about you beat him on here. I'll use that to my advantage and your advantage. <laughs> okay, let's, let's do that. So, you know, I was going to jump ahead on this. It's down the road, but let's, let's get into that now. Louisville, Kentucky, we were talking about some people tied to Louisville, the basketball program. You're a fan. Our people can't see it because this is on audio, not video, but you have a 1980 University of Louisville basketball championship behind you, which I drew my attention right away. What is it about Louisville that just seems to have so many quality men? Well, it's a special city. I, I fell in love with it when I came over 30 years ago. And my, I played basketball at Cincinnati Christian University. We ran the same offense, the same press, and everything, all the in out-of-bounds plays that the University of Louisville did. So I fell in love with Louisville before I even had moved here, uh, just because this, uh, I enjoyed watching the basketball program. But there's a lot of great churches. There's a lot of great people here in the city. And uh, we've been blessed here at Southeast Christian. Uh, Bob Russell modeled a, a real spirit of humility, but he also had a spirit of excellence. And he kind of conveyed that if, if we're going to do something for the Lord, we better do it first class and we better do it right. And so if you come to any of our campuses, you'll see that it's not extravagant or it's not opulent, but it is excellent. It's one of the things that I've always appreciated about this church is that there is that desire to do the very best we possibly can for the Lord. So how does that work? You mentioned Cincinnati Christian and, and Southeast Christian is, I'm sure, full of Cincinnati Christian folks. Here, one of our churches is sort of a pseudo-sister church, First Christian, which is where mm -hmm. I know Ronnie Cordray from, based on many other things I could say about Ronnie as well, but lots of people tied to that school uh, in Springfield, and God doesn't see fit to have everything for the kingdom of God last forever. Cincinnati Christian closed, what was it, two or three years ago? Yeah, about three years ago. It's painful when your alma mater you referred to your alma yeah. mater and it's not there anymore. It's just so strange. Yeah. 
So what can you say about Cincinnati Christian? Because like I said, between First Christian in Springfield, Southeast and Louisville, plenty of other yeah. places could mention it has a wealth and a history of people who have gone on to just serve there on a volunteer level, pastors. I mean, things don't last forever. But uh, so right. I guess there's some sadness right. and then it's closed for folks like you. But speak to Cincinnati Christian a little bit. Yeah, my dad was a dean of the seminary for for years and I went to school there and then I was a trustee for probably 12 or 15 years and uh, lost touch more so in, in the last decade. But, you know, I, it was a great season in the life of ministry because they had so much going on when it comes to turning out pastors and preachers. And it was a dynamic school. So I try to remember it back more in in, in that time of, of when I was there as a student and uh, some of the times after that. But you you said it well, Jeff. There's there's a season to everything, and so I think God has raised up some other schools. But it does. I, I got to be honest with you. There there still is a tinge of a twinge of of, of uh, I cringe when I think about the fact that it's not there anymore, and that it's not continuing to pour into students and alumni like it, it used to. But God used it for a season in a powerful way in my life. Mm-hmm. I know He did in First Christian in Springfield number of their pastors have come from there and lead pastors. My brother actually did his internship at Springfield back in oh, whoa, wow. 1979, I think it was. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, but great school, served a, a good purpose for a number of years and has gone to that graveyard now. Mm. Well, Dave, tell us a little bit of your, your history. Let's get first into your testimony, how you came to Christ, kind of the three-minute version of that. And then, you know, after that, maybe expand a little bit on your background in ministry, because as, as people may or may not know, you, you fall into an interesting land there between Bob Russell, who really took Southeast a whole nother level, and then, of course, the pastor there now, Kyle Eidelman, who's known to a lot of people through books he's written. And we've been using it in our world with the gathering a lot, one at a time which has been a great yeah. book and been very resourceful for us. So you you kind of play that middle ground there between those guys and fruitful, growing ministry in your time there. So start with the testimony and get into your church background and even what you did post-Southeast up until now. Yeah, th- thanks. Great question. As far as the testimony goes, I was raised in a, in a preacher's home. I was attracted to living for Christ because I saw that in my mom and my dad. They They both exemplified the fruit of the Spirit, they were godly examples to me. And so it became very natural for me to give my life to Christ. I think it was more in my high school years when I really made that my own and personalized it. I, I rededicated my life to Christ when I was in ninth grade. And it was a it was a profound moment in my life and for a group of other guys. And as a result of it, we started kind of a, a group. We all went to different high schools, but we were intent that we were going to we were going to be Christ followers and live for him and use our gifts for him. Mm. And so there were six or seven of us that met together once a month for pizza, ping pong and <laughs> preaching. Oh, wow. <laughs> we got all the peas, kind of like your podcast, Jeff. There you go. And, uh, you know, we were the predecessor of you. Sorry. No, no P. Where's Pac-Man? There. You got You didn't say Pac-Man. Yeah, I, Pac-Man should have been. I did. We played a lot of Pac-Man too. So <laughs> it's funny you say that. Space, Space and Bears and Pac-Man was our, yeah. our game of choice back then. But, you know, it was a great opportunity for us to lean on one another. And that kind of helped me to make my, my faith my own. Went to Bible college, graduated, had a weekend ministry. So I played basketball my first two years. Uh, at, at college, and then 
my my junior and senior year, drove every weekend to Louisville, Kentucky, and served at Shively Christian Church. You mentioned Ronnie Cordray. His dad was the preacher there, and I would live with them on the weekends, lead the youth program. And his dad, Dave Cordray, was so kind, he, he let me preach two weekends a month on the Sunday nights. And so here I was getting this great experience as a 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid of getting to preach at a uh, a church on on Sunday nights quite frequently. Finished school, went there full time to the Shively Christian in Louisville, and then went back to work at my alma mater as a director of recruitment. Spoke for youth conventions, kind of cut my teeth speaking in youth ministry and for uh, teen conventions and state conventions all over the country, and did that at a pretty young age and thoroughly enjoyed it until Bob Russell told me one day. He was looking for someone to share the preaching responsibility, Mm. which Jeff gives you so much of an insight into him. The church had grown to around 3,000, and most preachers in a case like that say, hey, this thing is growing because of me. I need to be up front more. And his humble spirit said, this is dangerous that this is growing so fast. I need to be up front less. And so he invited me at the age of 27. I'd never had a preaching ministry, but he invited me to to start preaching there with him. And uh, I started preaching six to eight weekends a year. It started increasing each year. So I got to have a front row seat to incredible growth at Southeast. And I also got to uh, have a guy leaning in and developing me as a preacher. So I was extremely blessed. Uh, I worked with him for 17 years at Southeast he handed it over to me. I led for 13 and a half years. And when Kyle Eidemann was the same age that I was when Bob handed it to me, I handed it off to him because he was ready. And I always appreciated that Bob Russell left when he could have stayed. And he let me have those peak years in my my mid-40s and 50s of leading the church, which was really magnanimous of him. He left when he was 62. He could have led for another five years and we wouldn't have missed a beat. So I was fortunate to be at Southeast for 30 years, 13 of those as a lead pastor. And it was an incredible honor to be a part of watching Kyle grow and uh, just to see how he's leading now. I've been gone for almost four years, which is hard to believe. He's done a phenomenal job uh, leading in the last four years during an incredibly difficult time. I always feel bad that, you know, whenever COVID struck, we just turned our prayers up for Kyle because, gosh, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, let alone a great friend, but he handled it so well, and and God continues to bless the church. So encouraging to hear you say that because, I mean, as an outsider looking in, it's funny, the two churches I probably most keep an eye on as far as preaching and what they're doing. You know, again, I live in Ohio, but I really keep tabs, ironically enough, these two places, Southeast and Southland, because I really like John Weist preached, I think it was the end of 2021, did a sermon for Southeast about truth and grace, and I wasn't familiar with him at all. That sermon, I will tell people to this day, if you can only listen to one sermon ever, that may be the sermon. He did a great job talking about grace and truth. And uh, so then I started kind of checking him out. And just to, I've gotten to know Bob. Bob came and did something for me several years ago. We've kept up a little bit. And how can you speak to this for yourself? And maybe with a little Bob influence, maybe with a little Kyle influence. Bob went to Cincinnati. You went to Cincinnati. Kyle went to Ozark. 
You guys did not go there probably thinking, okay, I'm going to be at a church. It's going to be one of the biggest in America, top 10, probably 20,000 people, give or take at various times. I know when Bob left, I think it was at 18, I heard 20 some, 23, 25 with you, wherever it is now. Of course, COVID's dinged it up, but leading staff, preaching on Sundays, running the business side of it, all the headaches and the pains and the hassles and relational stuff, lots of good. You have a church softball league at Southeast that's not a team plan. You have your own church softball league. When I went there early on a Friday morning with my good friend Landon Wade to be a part of a small group of men, I walked in and said, what airport are we at? Because I know there's a bunch of terminals here. (laughs) Where do I catch the flight? (laughs) Cincinnati Christian could have not prepared you guys for all that. So what was it like in those 13 years leading in all those aspects? Because many a days you probably had to feel like I am over my head here. Oh, I felt that way from day one. And I probably did throughout my my entire ministry. And Bob would say the same thing and, and Kyle as well. But what it does is it really helps your dependence to I'll, I'll skip ahead because I, I think it, it, it ties in. My first year, Bob Russell did everything he possibly could to set me up for great success. And I, I don't know anybody that could have done done more. But my first year and a half when it was when it was finally mine was a really difficult time for me. And I kind of lost my joy because I watched the attendance going down rather than up. And I'd always seen it go up. So you know it's it's kind of sad when you see the attendance drop a thousand in your first year, you know, and nobody's in the church is celebrating saying, Hey, Dave got us closer parking spots. You know, it's just, (laughs) just not how people look at things. Right. But, and I'm competitive and I'm a numbers guy. And so it really messed with my mind. And as a result of that, it played on my mind and I lost a, a, a lot of sleep over it. I feel like at that time in my leadership, I was leading out of fear rather than out of faith. I feel like I actually was, <laughs> I was not having my confidence in the Lord. I had my confidence in myself. If you've been past the church, as you said, you were recently, uh, it is kind of a big place. And as you drive past it on I-64, it it kind of stands out, 100 acres and big time. over a million square feet of of square footage. It's It kind of plays on your mind. And Jeff, that first year, I found myself as I would drive past on the interstate, I couldn't look over at the church because it just, it put my stomach in knots. Wow. And it just became a, oh, I get emotional thinking about it because uh, I know you don't know me well, but I always would, I'm kind of known for my joy. Mm. And I would come home from work and my wife didn't see the joy. And I told Kyle Eidelman and I told my wife, I think I'm going to fill an aquarium up with 500 marbles. And every day when I go into work, I'm going to take one more marble out. And after a year and a half, when I've lost my marbles, so to speak, wow. yeah. uh, I think I'm just gonna, I think I'm going to resign and I'm going to go sell peanuts at Cincinnati Reds ball games. And uh, I mean, I was at a pretty low spot. I finally through desperation and through Kyle, hmm, through my wife and through my elders, they just buoyed me up and they helped me hang in there. And I finally realized that there was a spot higher on the org chart than the senior pastor. Wow. And it wasn't my church. And it was bought with the blood of Christ and it was his church. 
when that finally sunk in, you would think that that would be pretty easy to understand. But um, I was so worried about messing up the church and this incredible legacy of Bob Russell's that uh, I finally had to realize it's it's not your church. It never was your church. It never was Bob's church. It was always Christ's church. And when I finally came to grips with that, then I could look at the church. I could <laughs> drive past it knowing that it, it, that there's a higher authority that that has invested his life uh, to buy this church and and to buy me. And uh, it was a game changer for me. And now looking back, we wouldn't have had the, the fun, phenomenal growth that we had the next 11 years if we hadn't had that dip of what turned out to be almost 1,500 people in the first first two years. You're talking, I'm, I'm really connecting with the parallel story. Matthew Barnett, who preaches, I forgot the name of the church, it's the Dream Center, the church that never sleeps mm -hmm. out in L.A., Tommy Burnett's son. Yeah. And mm -hmm. there's a great story about him. And I've been to this park in LA where he was at one day and he was really struggling with this whole church plant idea. I think he planted the church and just feeling like it was supposed to be bigger. And like, all right, God, you call me to this. Where are you at? What's going on here? And he felt like the Holy Spirit said to him, if you love looking around this park, if you love the people around you here and you will just love the people in this community, I will send you so many people you won't know what to do with it. Well, mm. suffice it to say that happened. Um, I don't know where they are currently. I was out there probably 15 years ago. It was a long time ago now. But I know they were flourishing and doing well, and my guess is they're still doing well. But Barnett had that moment where the Lord just said, love these people and not get caught up in the numbers. Have you heard that story before about Matthew Barnett? I haven't. I know I know Matthew, and I know his wife, but I'll, I'll tell you, I think you know, I love the story, but... I think everyone in ministry has some defining moments mm -hmm. where God just gets their attention. I remember Craig Rochelle saying one time, uh, if if you start to run yourself down when the numbers go down, then you'll be tempted to praise yourself when the numbers go up. And I thought, yeah, that's kind of the human tendency that we tend to have. But if we if we begin to look at our, our ministry and and our service within the church, for those who are listening who are, are just incredible servants within the church, that's the backbone of the church. Mm -hmm. And if we're doing it for the glory of one and we're, we're doing it for his, the audience of one and for his glory, then that's when God does his best work is in our weakness. Wow. You know, I'm thinking about right now, I went to the Cove which is interesting. I mentioned all the great men and people of Louisville, Kentucky. And up until last year, when I went to a men's conference there with James Brown and Tony Dungy, I had only heard people from Louisville, Kentucky share at the Cove being one, uh, Bob Russell, and the other one would be an Albert Moeller. So I was there this past week with four other guys. We heard Mark Batterson. And oh, good. yeah, I've got to know him a little bit. One of the things he said that I've never heard him say before that really struck a chord with me, and this was during a Q&A. Dave, have you been to the Cove? I have. I've been there several times. Okay. So this was during a Q&A that they usually do like on the last morning, right before the last session. And Mark said something that really struck a chord with me. He said, we always are going to get into dangerous territory if we use an adjective before the word gospel. The word gospel really should never have an adjective in front of it. It's going to be dangerous territory. And that really struck a chord with me. And when you think about all the cultural wars, everything that goes on today, Big churches, you know, we obviously see a many of falls, 
I'm sure you've been called, you've heard from people when churches have gone through difficult stuff. What do we as the church today really need to get right? When you see churches like Southeast that really grow and flourish and have great people tied to, what is the one thing they have to be really careful of? Well, I think you alluded to it earlier when you were talking about my friend John Weiss. I just think the the truth and grace piece is a really big piece of this. And especially in our culture uh, right now and in the 2023, I mean, we've seen this whiplash take place in our culture in, in the last 12 months. I've never seen something change so quickly. So we have to make certain we get the truth piece right. Mm-hmm. And we have to make certain that we get the grace piece right. Uh, I can remember years ago, after we were in a pretty hard-hitting series, Bob Russ and I were walking to our cars. This is 20-some years ago. And one of us had preached, John, Jesus is the only way. And he, he stopped me and he said, let me tell you, he said, that, that message is going to be the toughest one for us to preach in decades to come, because the exclusivity of the gospel mm-hmm. is going to be something that people have an incredibly hard time with. And he was prophetic. And now we, we see we're moving from a post-Christian world to an anti-Christian world. So we're going to have to make certain that we stick to God's word and let the chips fall where they may. But let's make certain we stand for the truth. But let's make certain that we also have the grace that, that Christ had. You know, John Weiss embodies that well. Uh, Mark Batterson does as well. Here's Mark Batterson that has never let church growth or any of these things go to his to his head. I really think church health is going to be the most important mm. piece. Wow. Uh, I don't know that, you know, we'd like to be a growing church for 100 years. We've quietly said that, and, and we're at around 60, 61 years of that right now at Southeast. But to be honest, I don't know what it's going to look like, uh, what church will look like 10 years and 20 years from now, because it's it, it could be smaller numbers, but the commitment might go a whole lot deeper. And that's that's a good thing if our, our commitment deepens and strengthens. So staying close to God's word, becoming people who are dependent on prayer, who are desperate for prayer, and also who feel that urgency to evangelize. If, if the reality that people only go one place, heaven or hell, if if that doesn't sober us to the point where we want to share our faith with others and there's something wrong with us. Mm. And we certainly aren't loving others the way Christ loved us, the way Christ told us to love others. Well, you know where that's said so well. I'm sure you've seen and heard about this a number of years ago when Penn Jillette made the really strong statement about how much Mm. do you have to hate someone and he's not a believer, but to believe something to be as true as the gospel and you're not willing to share it with other people. Yeah, it's one of the most powerful uh, you can find that on YouTube mm-hmm. by just putting in Penn Gillette, J-I-L-L-E-T-T-E-P-E-N-N, and then put Gift of a Bible. Mm. Find that on YouTube, and it might be the most powerful five minutes of your day if oh, your listeners were to watch that. 100%. Let me ask you this. So throughout love, looking at succession planning, especially in a church, because it's not happened well so many times, when things went from... Bob to you, and he, he talked a good bit about it in his one book about seven things he'd do over again, seven things he'd do the same, and then you to Kyle. I've heard people say this a number of times, and I think it's probably true, but I want your perspective on it, that for a person to really hand that baton off and kind of fully go into post-senior pastor role, they have to really get their eyes focused and thinking about what's next and not what they're actually handing off. 
Was that true for Bob with you and you with Kyle that you started really getting excited about what next was? Yeah, it's it's that concept of uh, you're you're not retiring from something, you're going to something. Mm-hmm. And I've heard a whole lot of people talk about it. You know, Bob wanted to mentor and pour into people and and to continue to use his preaching gift. And I think that it's tough for anyone in that first year or two when they leave to really understand what it's going to look like. And so you kind of try to telegraph the past and and say, this is what I'm I'm going to do, but it might look very different. So in my particular case, in September, I said in the next six months, I'm going to six to nine months, I'm going to pass things over to Kyle Eidelman and he'll become the senior pastor. And then I'll stay for a few more months and then and then I'll 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 leave. I said, now you know who the who is, that's Kyle. And you know what the when is. Now you know when. But what am I going to do? And that's probably your number one question is, okay, well, you know, you're 57 years old, Dave. Why why are you leaving so early? And what are you going to do? And I said, I, I honestly have no idea what I'm going to do. And I said, but I've always been saying for the last 30 years when I preach, trying to encourage you to take a step of faith, I'm taking a step of faith. And I have no idea what I'll do. But I know God, God knows. And uh, I left six months later, and it was... I I left seven months later, but at about the five and a half month mark, I was asked to to become an interim pastor at a church in Chicago that had lost their preacher. You know, they wanted me to come and and to help fill the pulpit some. So I said, I can give you two weekends a a month and that's about it. So I, I did that for the next year and a half, but I had my last weekend at Southeast and then I started the very next weekend. Uh, in Chicago. And I never would have seen that coming. I never could have called that. I never would have said, oh, I want to be an interim pastor. No, I have no desire to do that. But God took my 30 years of experience as a pastor and put me in that setting in order to to preach and pastor. And I think that really what they needed was me to pastor Mm. because I was constantly reminded that I wasn't as good of a preacher as the guy before me there. So uh, I think I was there to pastor. God brings opportunities for us. And so I've had great opportunities to mentor and to pour into younger pastors. I've been able to pour into a lot of churches with their transitions. And I use spend a lot of time doing that. I preach a whole lot, but I don't have the pressure of leading an organization with a, a huge budget and with uh, over 500 staff members. And so I don't miss the stress whatsoever, and yet I'm still getting to use my gifts, and God continues to open doorways for me that I never dreamed would have happened. I'm on three boards now, and I never thought that I'd be using my gifts on board work, you know, so it's 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 pretty cool to see how God, God does those things, even when you don't have that next thing. So it sounds like been a real discovery period as well. I mean, it's not just, you know, Bob left, I know, and I've read this and seen this, and he's talked about it, that he left for speaking, mentoring, and writing. So his was pretty clear. Yours was more kind of finding out as you went. How fun has that been just kind of discovering things like these three boards? Yeah. And, you know, I, I would say that the mentoring piece, I always knew that would be part of it. The preaching piece would be a part of it. I'm getting to do more things with organizations and with companies, which I've always enjoyed that. But some of the surprises were just some of the settings that God's put me in and with influencers that he allows me to lean in with. Uh, When 
when God has you in a sense discipling and pouring into influencers, whether it's in the business world or sports world or music world or ministry world, whatever it might be, it's it's like, okay, uh, when it comes to mentoring, my my rear view mirror becomes their windshield. Mm, amen. And like uh, my hindsight becomes their foresight. Amen. And I'm always impressed when I find younger people who have an attitude of a teachable spirit and they actually welcome the wisdom of others rather than saying, oh, I've got this figured out. I've got this figured out. God's given me success. So obviously uh, I don't need to ask for other people's input. Are you doing most of what you're doing uh, in person? Is this in and around Louisville? Is this beyond Louisville? Is this in other states? Is this on Zoom? I mean, how are you doing it? Because it sounds like you're into some fun, neat niches, kind of what I said at the intro of the podcast, the types of stuff I enjoy. It sounds like you're doing things beyond church world and striking some hot coals for you. You're really enjoying it. Yeah, I, I, I do. And some of it is more formalized. There's a group called the Ascent Leader and they have a formalized uh, mentoring program. And I've done a lot with their character and craft program where I'll be matched up with eight guys. I'll meet three days with them in three different cities. And so wow. nine days together through the course of a year, several Zoom calls together. And now I'm doing that more with transitioning of, of, of leadership. I'm leaning in with helping several different churches, uh, large churches now deal with transitions of longtime pastors. And then the board work, God has just put me in some unique settings and and then he's he's uh, things that I, I wouldn't have imagined. And then on top of that, I feel like I have the opportunity to get to lean in with some people who have become good friends through the years who actually like to have an objective third party lean into their own personal lives and marriage and, and spiritual lives. Wow. Sounds like you're uh, flourishing to say the least. I want my listeners to be able to hear this. Uh, Bob told me a little bit about it, but I want to hear it from your perspective. Chick-fil-A, a number of years ago, through the, the king of Chick-fil-A in Louisville, Bruce Smith, who I think is maybe <laughs> a member of you guys, this, flew in a yep. number of people to meet for at least a day with you, Bob, and Kyle to talk about transition planning, which to me, it blows my mind. Like, wait, Chick-fil-A reached out to you guys <laughs> about transitioning. So talk about that. Let people know that story a little bit. It's pretty amazing. I got a phone call about seven or eight years ago and the Chick-fil-A president and their leadership team wanted to come and just spend a few hours with us and pick our brain on, on transition, which, you know, is, you're not expecting to get that phone call. So you said, you think, you know, my first response is, I don't know how much we have to offer and and how much you can learn from us, but we could learn a whole lot from you also. Yeah. You know, I was all in. Called Bob, he was in. Called Kyle, he was in. My favorite part of that whole time was they started off by saying that every person in that room, uh, excuse me, I think 80% of the people in that room were in a different role a year ago or would be in a different role in the next year. And so that's why they were so interested in transitioning. But my favorite part of the whole time together, Jeff, was uh, when I shared our mission and was talking about our mission at Southeast. I said, our mission is to connect people to Jesus and one another. And when I said that, I saw them kind of turn their heads. And, you know, how when you say something, you know, there's something deeper going uh -huh. on. Well, I said, you know, connecting people to Jesus and one another. Well, I see people... We're sitting in a square in, in, in a kind of a circle, and I see them all kind of looking to each other next to them and kind of nodding. And 
uh, you know, some whispering going on. So I kept on going. Finally, I said, hey, I said, I got to I got to ask you guys uh, when I said our mission is to connect people to Jesus and one another. Uh, what what what's what's going on with you? Because I can see that that meant something to you all. And one of the guys said, well, that's that's kind of our mission statement Get at Chick-fil-A, too. Yeah. And he said, uh, we don't put that on our website. Well, he said, that's kind of the way we view what we're doing is how can we help people connect with others and with Christ? And I walked away and I thought, how cool is that? That yeah. the number one, hmm, I get emotional thinking about it, how, that the number one place that that's what they're pouring into their their employees, their franchisees, all these different people, and that that that's what they want to do. They want their work, to, just like Colossians three twenty three says. You know, they're they're doing it for the Lord, not unto men. Wow, that's that's more details than what Bob gave me. But that story just amazing that they came there and like two incredible organizations who both impacted the kingdom of God, both doing yeah. ministry, learning from each other that way. So let me let me ask you this. So you talked about when you came in and just as you got a little emotional earlier talking about that first year, year and a half of being a senior pastor. Tell me about when you took over senior pastor, the Jesus that Dave Stone knew when he left and the Jesus Dave Stone knows now. Wow. What an interesting question. You know, I, I, I think I've seen different sides of Jesus through each one of those seasons. That's why I, you, you wouldn't know this. So that's what makes it such a great question on your part. There was just an anticipation when I, when I came to Southeast and also when I took on that role, there was excitement, there was anticipation. And I felt like Christ was, was celebrating with me because I knew I was in over my head and he was going to have to do it. He was going to have to make the the difference. Uh, then it, it became desperation. Mm. And I had a, a savior and a Lord that was consoling me, comforting me, was right there with me. And then after leaving, I feel like he's become more of a God that I've learned to trust more. Uh, he hasn't become more trustworthy. He was yes. trustworthy all along, mm -hmm. but I've learned to trust him more. I've learned to trust him with my future. I've learned to trust him that he will use all of my past experiences for future service opportunities. And I've seen that time and time again. And when I meet with guys, I always say, God will you know, he won't waste a hurt. He won't waste anything that you went through in ministry, good, mm -hmm. bad, ugly, whatever it might've been. And it's going to allow you the opportunity to, to serve him in a, in a greater way because of what you've gone through in your ministries. Wow. So much good in that. I would imagine, and I, I've heard that phrase before, but as you talked about earlier, rearview mirror windshield, that I've heard mm -hmm. that phrase before used. I think I've used it myself to some extent with things, but I think for you, that just seems like a sweet spot of where you are right now. What you being self-aware enough to know that at your age, your place in life, your experience to be able to offer that to other people. What a gift. Yeah. You're not preaching to 20,000 people, but that, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, a small group of people could really make a big, you know, long-term type of impact. Yeah. And it's funny because I didn't know what I was going to end up doing. Uh, you know, I knew I wanted to continue to preach. Uh, so now I'm I'm on the preaching team at a church in Phoenix that's where I'm speaking to more people than I ever did at Southeast. And I'm doing mentoring with these small groups and with pastors who are about to go through retirement or transitioning into retirement. And I'm one-on-one -on -one with them. So God 
as he always does, does immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. He he took this large, incredibly large ministry at Southeast, and he let me springboard it to small groups of pastors and then even larger groups of people. So that's just how God works. <laughs> well, one thing I'm, I'm finding out about you, Dave, is you're certainly not picking places where you're suffering for Jesus too much. I mean, you're at Phoenix. <laughs> I mean, Chicago, just food-wise, For I mean, the weather sometimes is a little bad, but I mean, you're, you're not suffering for Jesus too much in the locations you're picking. You're not, you're not coming to Enon, Ohio or anything like that. Well, I've, I've been saying, you know, Lord, I would never go to Hawaii. If you send me to Hawaii, yeah. I'll take the, trust me, I love Phoenix. Oh. I'm there seven, I preach seven weekends a year and I thoroughly enjoy it. And yeah. uh, I love the temperature there and they're very good to me. They give me a couple in February every year, which is when I want to be out of the Ohio Valley. Yeah, I get that just a little bit. So let's close with this. I'm scrapping a whole bunch of stuff. My little funny rapid five thing I try to do, we're ditching because this, this had a little bit of a Barbara Walters kind of flavor to it, I guess. And I appreciate your heart. I can do your five. I can, I, if, if you put me on the spot, a, I can do it quick. I want to save him because I'm going to tell Kurt, you did such a good job getting me Dave once. I want Dave twice. So let me ask you this as kind of a close. Give me the one word description. What would your wife, what would Bob, what would Kyle, what word would they use to describe you as a man? And what one word would some of those same people, Ronnie Cordray, we'll throw him in a mix again. What would they say about you as a leader? What's the one word title they would give you as a man, different word as a leader? As a leader, I think they'd say encouraging. I think that might be the word that would would pop up. It's a strange question to ask of, of, of yourself. But I think I was seen as an encouraging leader. And as far as just in everyday life, I it would probably be intentional. Um, I just really, God, uh, a few years ago, just put this burden on my heart. And I try to pray it most every day. Lord, intersect my life with mm. someone today. Yeah. Intersect my path with some someone that I can spiritually encourage. Mm. And every time we pray that prayer, every time my wife and I pray that together on my day off, it's unbelievable how he just brings people in our path. And the bar is set so low nowadays that the slightest interest you take in a person, the slightest thing you do for them, it's you now have an open audience. You know, we sat with a gal yesterday that my wife has been trying to pour into. She doesn't really have a clue anything about my leadership at Southeast or Beth's leadership, any of those things. It's just a hurting divorced woman who is uh, in a rough situation, who my wife reached out toward. And we just want to be on the lookout. I'm blessed to have a wife that uh, models that for me and that holds that as a high value as well. Well, I'll tell you what, one of the things I try to pray regularly is that God will put me where I can give an inch and he'll take it and make it a mile's worth of impact. Clearly, I think that relates to you. And I feel like I've gotten that investment from this Zoom call, from this podcast to me. Tell you what, I, my son just had an AAU tournament this past weekend. I was in Asheville at the Cove, came right back, turned around. We went to Indianapolis for AAU basketball. This weekend, we're playing right there downtown by Kentucky Kingdom and Freedom Hall in that area. And I tell people, if God ever calls us out of Springfield, Ohio, if we stay in the Midwest, I want it to be Indianapolis, Indiana or Louisville, Kentucky, and guys like you and Kurt and Landon Wade and Amos Martin and Ronnie Cordray and a whole bunch of others are making me say, I think it needs to be Louisville, Kentucky, if we get called away. So thank you for this time, well, Dave. 
God's God's using you right where you are, but I'm out of town this weekend preaching in Phoenix, but next time you're within striking distance, let me know. I'll take you to lunch. I would, uh, I will hold you to that. The other uh, person I've had on here twice, and uh, my buddy Landon Wade kind of made the connection, and then he connected me to Kurt, who connected me to you, is Matthew Sleeth. Have you gotten to know Matthew much? I, I met him one time. He's he's a great author and a godly, gentle man. He really is. He's become a good friend. We went on a retreat uh, a couple months ago with a couple other guys, and he's he's a gift. And uh, I, I love how God just keeps making these connections. And I, I say it all the time. I said, I might as well just move to Louisville because all these podcasts I'm doing are Louisville people, it seems like. Hey, come on down, brother. There You're you always welcome. All right. Well, I'm holding you to that lunch, and uh, really appreciate you being with us, Dave. Thanks, Jeff. It was my honor. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at GatheringMiamiValley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.